Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Introducing Carissa Green Industries. Let's get ready to launch. with Shannon Sedgwick. We spoke about his career going from war zones to cybersecurity and his different approach towards the cybersecurity sphere. Shannon and I talked about his belief on female quotas within organizations and how he believes companies should be looking at and addressing this problem head on. I hope you enjoy this episode as it's raw and real. Well, Shannon, I'm extremely excited to have this podcast. It's something I've wanted to do for a while, just obviously from our discussions that we've had but i know that we had that event recently i really liked your opinions on certain topics so i wanted to dig a little deeper on some of those get your opinion that i know is real and raw and hear more about what you think about the industry so let's walk through your career as i know you've had an interesting one Mm, yeah so uh a bit different compared to uh, most within the uh, cybersecurity industry. I know we have some varied backgrounds within our industry, but mine's quite different. I, um, I was a dairy farmer straight out of school. I've, uh, yeah, so if I ever quit cybersecurity, I can just go back and milk cows if I fail yeah. miserably. So hopefully that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't happen because I hate milking cows. It's a terrible job. Um, <laughs> Farmers work very hard, and uh, I grew up on a farm, so it's uh, I know how hard they work and how, uh, how difficult their lives are, and I certainly don't want to go back to that. I prefer hard work of a different kind. <laughs> no, uh, you're so right. I actually yeah. have studied agriculture, so I've got, like, quote-unquote, a horse breeding, like, education. Oh, yeah. yep. So yep. I understand where you're coming from when you say it's hard work because <laughs> it's hard work. I, I prefer to work 20 hours at my desk than 20 hours like fencing for weeks on end. Like it's really hard. Yeah, fencing's a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, you by yourself in the middle of nowhere and uh, fencing and just cows to keep you company it's uh some people love that sort of thing but I, <laughs> it's not for me but yeah so and then i uh quite quickly decided that uh farming wasn't for me so i um and my family's quite a large military family almost mm-hmm. everyone in my family's uh been military of some sort including my sister my father his father um right through past about five generations but uh, back oh. to uk military so i joined the military and was in the army, Australian army. I was a paratrooper. Um, uh, the guys jump out of safe planes. So uh, did that for just about six years, five years, 11 months. And um, I got out um, when I realised that, you know, the military was great, but it was um, not going to take me to where I needed to go. And I did some um, private contracting work and uh, – between security and administration and uh, different roles um, out of Iraq, like a lot of guys do when they leave the military. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always, I've always been really interested in tech. And during, while I was, you know, doing those rotations overseas, I started, um, you know, getting a bit more involved in it and researching, you know, um, degrees that I could study around cyber or tech or IT. And um, I really fell in love with um 
the cyber. So that's when I sort of started studying and uh, really throwing myself into it. And I've, I've, I've always been a person that has never been able to do things by half measures. I either mm-hmm. throw myself completely into it or I don't do it at all. Um, and I've been, I was fortunate enough to grow up with a, uh, a, a mother who it reinforced it into myself and my sisters that no matter what we chose to do, we could do it and we'd be the best at it. So I always 100%. went to things thinking, well, I never, I never once doubted that I could do it. Uh, it was just choosing the right direction. Because if you work hard enough at something, I, I think that you're always – going to succeed no matter how many sort of downfalls you have and you know mistakes and downfalls are all part of that process it doesn't mean you're not succeeding so and after I uh, you know I got a bit sick of um, doing the work I was doing in Iraq I out of that work I saw an opportunity and uh, quite a large gap in the market in providing logistics and protective services security services to uh media and ngos and manufacturing companies if i based myself on the west coast of the us Mm -hmm. so um i packed myself and my uh girlfriend at the time who's now my wife um, and we moved sold everything and Mm -hmm. moved over to the other side of the world to start a business Uh, okay We'd never, we'd never lived in this state before. Um, so it was, it was, and the only thing we had to go off was a few contacts I had in San Diego and my market research. And it was a baptism by fire. Um, oh. We were running out of money quite quickly. So it was either sink or swim. There was no backup plan. I had no money to go back on. I had nothing left to sell. I sold my car. I sold everything that I owned to make this company work. And fortunately, um, after quite a bit of struggles in that first 12 months, we started generating um, some significant revenues and winning some big clients and we brought on some new some new team members mm-hmm. and it just got bigger from there and it, it really snowballed and um, we moved well, – uh, it, it, we timed it quite well because we um, our visas ran out and we decided we'd hire somebody to run the company in the US and we'd open mm-hmm. up an office in Sydney and another one in Singapore. So we opened up the Sydney office and the funny thing about working in the States, and I'm sure people who have worked in the States before or started the business in the States before, anything that you do in the States is comes under a magnifying glass and appears so much larger than it really was when you come back to Australia. And you're like, oh, well, you ran a successful business in the US. That's that's huge. You know, yeah, you, yeah, must, yeah, yeah. you must be legit. And while we, whilst we were legit, it, it, we certainly <laughs> weren't as big or as successful as what we appeared to be. Right. And but that really got us a rapid foot in the door in Sydney and in Australia where there was a gap in the market for our type of services. But while we were in the States, we quickly identified that cybersecurity and information security is quite a large concern for people like media and NGOs and manufacturing firms that were operating in third world countries or countries with extremely low levels of press freedom like China and uh, Turkey and, you know, to a degree, Israel. Mm-hmm. And so their cybersecurity and their cybersecurity hygiene practices were something that they were quite keen to learn. So we, at that stage, we were training journalists and our clients to be able to operate in these less than desirable environments. And we uh, developed a cybersecurity training program as part of that. 
and I just fell in love with it even more at that point. And we, I did market research again into the Asia Pacific market around cybersecurity. And at that point, most cybersecurity companies were focused on the big end of town, mm-hmm. and most still are. The big four banks and, you know, the ASX 200 and, you know, the, the real large end of town, but there was not that much of a focus at that stage on small to medium businesses, despite the fact that they make up, you know, 95% of businesses in Australia and are significantly less mature due to their lack of awareness and the lack of budget and, uh, you know, the other reasons is um, small to medium businesses um, are less secure. And so we... We developed a sort of a, a one-stop shop to a degree where it's not a silver bullet, but it, it was quite a customizable service offering that we could offer a small to medium business. And that sold like like hotcakes just because of the, the network that we already had. And we'd, I'd been able to successfully leverage our media clients, which were the majority of our clientele were media. And they're all, journalists are always looking for a story. So mm-hmm. whenever something happened – it was fairly easy to get my mug in front of the news, mm-hmm. in front of the camera, which is, you know, brilliant brand marketing as long as you don't say something stupid. And right. I think yes. I might have said something stupid a couple of times, but uh, everybody <laughs> seemed to notice overly so. But it, it served quite well to le- to leverage the company's brand and also my personal brand within the industry quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to have a unique offering in that small to medium business market, it, it was quite good. It quickly became the company's internationally its biggest revenue generator. Wow. Okay. And that, that's the interesting thing because even when we spoke the other week about being different, yeah, you've definitely you fit that mold as as we know. And I guess coming from war zones to cybersecurity. Yeah. What do you be- what do you believe is missing in in this industry, and and what should people start looking at closely? I I think where my background's a bit different. I, I look at things with uh, a different perspective, and I, I think a lot of uh, military guys who deployed a bit while they were in the army. I didn't do anything uh, dangerous while I was in the military. I just went to East Timor twice. I did all my dangerous stuff as a civilian. So I was I did most of the war zones and natural disaster zones over about five or six years. Uh, I was doing a lot of countries each year. So we got to see some amazing things, but you sort of develop a, a not only a resilience to that type of work, but you develop a, a, a bigger picture, a holistic picture of risk and what's acceptable and what's not. And your risk appetite is quite different. And you learn to, you learn that risk isn't a bad thing. You know, mm-hmm. People say, oh, we've got to mitigate all risk and, you know, it's impossible to do. And, you know, you might be mitigating risk at the detriment of the success of your business. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not need to be mitigated. It might be an acceptable risk. But if you're being overly risk adverse, your competitors might be pulling away from you or, you you know, it, and I, I understand that larger companies have a board that sets their risk appetite. but. Mm-hmm. You know, and they might not be as agile as those smaller and medium-sized companies. But I, th- I think, from a general perspective uh, of the industry, uh, I don't think uh, we're missing any one thing. Mm-hmm. I think we're 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 moving in the right direction. And you know, cybersecurity awareness and being risk-aware is 
moving forward in leaps and bounds, in my opinion. There's a, a lot of people, a lot of industry players and experts that are doing some brilliant work in the field. You know, friends of you, yours and I that mm-hmm. are working really hard in this space to extend that awareness to all industries. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's growing. Obviously, there's some industries that are fairly nascent in terms of their maturity or in terms of developing their their culture to be more risk aware or risk accepting. Like, you mm-hmm. know, your industry, as we all know, is quite a difficult one. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's any one thing that's missing from the industry. I, I think that we just need to be more aware that, that risk isn't a bad thing. You know, we can leverage it to our advantage. As, as long as your risk appetite and your cybersecurity strategy is aligned with, you know, your business values or your business strategy, then that's a good starting point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of you do hear a lot of people saying, oh, we're going to mitigate all of the risks. So I, I, I that is a very valid point. And I've worked in companies before when, like you said, it's at the detriment of the functionality of something. And I guess you've you've obviously got to look at what risks you're choosing to accept. But again, like you said, it's going to be nearly impossible and there's always going to be a risk because companies evolve and I guess new threats and attacks and everything is coming out all the time. So I think it's always going yep. to be continuously looking at that. And I don't know if enough companies are continuously looking at uh that from from that point of view. Yes. Now, I know we. I, I really enjoyed co-presenting the other day with you, mm. and you made some bold statements, which sounds just like you, <laughs> which I liked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let's dive into the whole quotas thing. Like, talk mm. to me about this because that was something you sort of you came out straight away and you said, "Look, yes. this is what I think." Mm. Yeah. Exactly. And now. Uh, I, just for the people who are listening, it's, it was about gender quotas and gender quotas in terms of uh, building a, a team. Now, the point that I made, and it's something that I believe in quite strongly, is the whole purpose of developing a team or a business or a, or a unit of any kind is to have a high-performing and successful team. Nobody would dispute that. That's that is the aim of your team building, and uh, particularly within cybersecurity, you want to have a high-performing team that works well together. There is no data mm-hmm. that I have seen that suggests that the pursuit of gender quotas equates to a high-performing team. Quite the opposite. If you look at Danish studies uh, that they did around um, them enforcing gender quotas in boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can Google that golden skirts theory where it was only a select group of women who kept getting the board roles and it wasn't available to anybody else. And they ended up, um, some companies just ended up shutting up shop because they couldn't meet the, the standards. Mm-hmm. I, don't th- I don't think it is wise in any industry at all to enforce gender quotas in your recruitment processes because nobody wants to be selected on the basis of their gender. They want to be yeah. selected because they know they're the best person for that role. You want, to go in, you want to go into a role knowing you've been selected because you've worked your ass off and you have the qualifications and experience and the wherewithal and the resilience to be able to do a difficult role or to be able to perform that role to the best of your ability and it's a role that you're going to love, not because you're a man or a woman or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Because to be selected on the basis of your gender, in my opinion, is disrespectful and insulting. However, 
like a lot of people in the cybersecurity industry and other industries, I'm not a person that just throws out a problem and says, no, we can't do it this way. My suggestion and my recommendation is to people, rather than having a gender quota at the end of the recruitment track where you're choosing between people that you're going to actually recruit, have a gender balanced candidate pool. Mm-hmm. If you have a, if you really want that 50-50 male-female gender balance, have it in the candidate pool and then select the best people for the job out of that pool. That way you know you have access to the best people for the role that is gender balanced, but you're not using a gender quota to, you know, inf- to force you to hire somebody that might not be the right person for the role. And to be honest, a gender quota does damage to the overall drive and goal of achieving gender equality in, in our industry. It damages that, that, you know, that journey. It's, it's brand damage. Mm-hmm. And Do every, you think every, every woman in the industry I've spoken to, yep. there might be some that disagree with me. I mean, I'm sure I'll probably get emails or LinkedIn messages after this going, yeah, burn him, burn him alive. <laughs> um, but every woman that I've spoken to don't want to be chosen just on the basis of their gender. That's sexism again. It's, it's just perpetuating a, a problem in the opposite direction. It's gone too far in one way. And no, you're right. I know that's very easy for me to say as the, um, the privileged middle-aged white male who's giving this advice, but I have built a successful team of 50-50 male-female before, and I didn't do that through the pursuit of gender quotas. I did it by building an, in- an inclusive, high-performing and um, – flexible work environment that people wanted to work at and by looking at a range of candidates that were gender diverse and culturally diverse you know i it does not matter what color creed religion gender um or sexuality you are that does not play that should not play into a recruitment decision at all so do you think it's a fair assumption to say that companies are compromising themselves because they're like, look, we've got to get more women in here. And like you said, they might not be competent or they might not necessarily be fit for the role. So I feel like, I guess like you could say as an industry on a whole, like even to the point that I had made that we're going to lose because we are doing that to, I guess, to fit those quotas at the end of the day. And I, and that that's, I think that that's what's kind of happening because I have seen it before and yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I literally got off the phone before I jumped on this podcast about I want to lose because I never would ever want to win anything or yeah. like a deal or a, a job promotion because I was a female. Completely agree yeah. in terms of it's insulting. And I want to mm-hmm. win on merit. Exactly. I want to win on my own two feet like I earned this fair and square because the last thing that's going to happen is that, oh, okay, well, of course you got that because you're a female. Like yeah. that's the last thing that I want to hear. And I, I, would, yeah. I would assume that most people are in the same boat. Exactly. And to me it ties into – and it's not – usually you'll find that companies that have those gender quotas are usually companies that have a – very politically correct for the benefit of external, you know, people looking in. They they want to tick that box of diversity and inclusivity and acceptance, and it's their marketing tool. It's you know, it's it's what it's what they are. It's their lingua franca. 
you know, the, but don't you think people language. can see through that? Like, oh, okay, we've ticked the box. I, you know? I, I really, I really think that they can, but I think a lot of those companies have quite a lot of junior staff, and they use that to recruit their juniors. But I think it does them a disservice, and you'll find that a lot of these companies have problems hanging on with, to their you know, junior to mid-level staff around that, you know, senior analyst, senior consultant area, because that's when they start getting offers, not only for more money, but for companies that are a bit more aligned with their, their cultural, their, their, a culture that they want to work for, you know, a bit mm-hmm. more high performing rather than just uh, tipping, ticking that box. And no, I agree with you. It's, 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 it's an issue in retention. I think it's something that they're just not looking at because nobody wants to say something that's unpopular for fear of being not politically correct. It's, um, I think a fear of not being PC hurts a lot of industries, particularly cyber. Uh, you know, we have quite a diverse range of people that work in our industry, but just say it how it is. Like, don't beat around the bush. You, uh, gender <laughs> quotas don't bloody work. Full stop. And until I see data otherwise, that's going to be my belief. And I, that's what I recommend to, you know, Verizon where I work and our clients and, you know, the boards that I advise. Um, I'm, I'm not going to change my stance on that until I see evidence otherwise. And, um, you know, I, I always recommend people not just to take my word for it or anybody else's word for it, but do your own research. That way, when you do have this conversation with somebody, you have, you know, data to back it up. You know, it's just not, it's not just an opinion. It's a, it's mm-hmm. an evidence-based, it's fact in my opinion. No, 100%. Yeah. And I think, I know there's talk around companies naming and shaming companies. You don't have enough female leaders. Like, what's your opinion on this? Uh, that's, um, I don't agree with that. Jacob's a bit of a reach that that seemed extreme level. Because you don't know what's happening on the inside of that company. They might have been trying to hire the right person for the job for a long time. It just so happens that a female wasn't available for to be the perfect person for that type of job. We have to be realistic about this because STEM programs up until recently within schools weren't available or weren't very successful to female students. Yeah, there hasn't been only until recently have they started making it attractive to both genders mm-hmm. to the, that IT or cybersecurity paths or any sort of tech or science or you know physics or anything like that has largely been the domain of males. Yes. Only recently has that started to change. We can't expect to have experienced 30, 40, 50 year olds in senior positions of um, cybersecurity and technology. Because they're rare, they know, are. They're, they're brilliant. Like I know some extremely brilliant females that are, are leaders within the cybersecurity industry. But the problem is, is they only have so much bandwidth. They can't be on every board. That's where that golden skirts skirts theory yeah where the same women keep getting on the same boards, and it doesn't give a chance for the up and comers to get on. Now. We don't know what's happening within a company. We don't know their story, their background, or their strategy, or what efforts they're taking to address it. Mm-hmm. We should never be naming and shaming anybody. A company should be treated treated the same as individuals. Would you name and shame an individual, you know, publicly because you don't agree with something that they're doing? If you do, that's um, tantamount to bullying, in my opinion. And bullying is something that I just won't stand for. Um, 
if you feel so strongly about it, reach out to the leadership within that organization, ask them, be quite pointed about it. You can be blunt and say, why don't you have, you know, more women on your board or more women in your your C-suite team or more women in your IT or cybersecurity team and see what they come back with rather than just naming and shaming people. Uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's ridiculous to be honest. I'm just curious on what sort of value that's going to add. Just, I feel like it's kind of like stirring the pot a little bit because what do we gain, I guess, as an industry by yeah. doing that? Because then people are going to get upset and then companies are going to try and defend themselves because, yeah, they, yeah. they may as well, like I even said that on that panel, like where are we getting these people from? From pot plants? Like yeah. they're just not around. And that's yeah. why we do we- need to embrace people who are different so we yeah. can – get people who actually want to work in this industry that might not have the typical background. Exactly. And that's, and, and, and a lot of companies are doing it now and they're doing a great job of it, of doing away with the requirement for a degree, doing away with the requirement to be from a certain background. If Absolutely. You, you need people, listen, uh, you've got to think about the people that we're trying to combat against who, who are we trying to prevent from getting access to our companies? Criminals. It's our clients' data, cyber criminals. And they don't come from a set background. They exactly. They come from a vast range of backgrounds. We need people that can get in the minds and have a level of emotional intelligence where they can understand what a cyber criminal will try and do. And to do that, we need to be just as diverse and just as agile and just as, you know, decentralized as those cyber criminals to be able to react as quickly and to think like them and to keep up with them. We're never going to, we're never going to be in front of them, but just to keep up with them. So our reaction times and our, you know, our, uh, you know, our defenses are strong enough to prevent the majority of attacks. Nothing, not all can be prevented. Like I said, there's no such thing as zero risk, Mm -hmm. but you know, we need diverse people, but the way to do that isn't to target, you know, cultural gender, uh, uh, cultural um, quotas or gender quotas. There's, it's, it does a disservice and a disrespect to not only the existing team who probably were hired because they were the best people, but also to the person that you're hiring. They want to know, be known that they were the right person for the job, not because of, you know, their gender. No, you're absolutely spot on. And I think much to your point before, when people always ask me about cybersecurity, I said it's it's a mindset thing. If you think I got into it because I was curious and I asked questions, you're like, why does it do this? What happened with that? And then I remember like stressing someone out, like I was like a very senior person in a company. Like Mm. he was just like, oh my God, like you're asking so many questions. I've never heard someone be so curious. Like it's awesome that you're like that. But I just kept asking like, so what happens here? And what are they doing that? And what does this mean? Like it's being curious, yeah. I think, is the main ingredient for a, a successful cybersecurity practitioner to have a, a really great career because they're going to constantly be asking why. And I'm someone, if you yeah. didn't tell me why I was doing something or why mm. something operated the way it did, I wouldn't believe it. I'd be like, you know what? You can't explain why. Like, I don't just go, well, what's that thing when parents go, well, because I said so? Like, that just, that just was <laughs> yeah. not a good enough reason. <laughs> I wanted to yeah. know why. And then I was yeah. curious. Yeah. And, and again, you, you, yeah, keep saying. I was just saying, like you said, cyber criminals, like they don't sit there and go to Harvard University and they have a set structured plan. So 
Why would we, I guess, naturally, I guess, quote unquote, endorse these types of behaviors anyway? Because I think it's really about having street smart and then yeah. learn the stuff. Because exactly how I learned on the job and having people to help develop those particular skill sets and then finding things that where my strengths really lied and then going yeah. forward with that. Yeah, exactly. And you touched on a really good point just before, and it's something that I believe in to the depths of my being. Every fibre of my being believes this is if you are curious about something and passionate, there is nothing that can stop you. It doesn't matter if it's cybersecurity or career goals or starting a business or anything like that. If you have curiosity and passion for your chosen field, it won't ever feel like you're working. It'll be hard work. But you'll love every minute of it. You know, they but talk it won't about be like dairy farm hard work. Yeah, it won't be a dairy farm. Yeah, it won't be uh, oh, you know, milking cows at four a.m. and fencing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> or getting, uh, or like, like getting chased by uh, ISIS-controlled drones or shot at by snipers. Oh, yeah, I saw um, that video. Everyone should check it out. We, I uh, will link it in the yeah. show notes. That was crazy. I was like. Yeah. I would be freaking out so much. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even deal end. with that situation. I can't. I can't deal with it. Yeah, that was the beginning of the end for me because my uh, my wife has been. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today, and I wouldn't have been able to build and scale as you know a successful business and and you know successfully exit that and do what I'm doing now without her support. You know, where there's just no way I could have. Uh, she's been there for me the whole time we've had some really rough times but we've always mm-hmm. done it together you know I, I can't stress that enough is the importance of having somebody by your side that understands that never-ending hunger and that restlessness and that you know sorry to swear but that that fucking drive that <laughs> never stops where it we you hate weekends because you, you you're not feeling like you're getting enough work done or yes i saw night. that post about you yeah you know, who night. here i think that's before i even met you and i was like i like this yeah. guy he thinks yeah. like me it just never stops you know you're always feeling like am i doing enough like there's a guy uh, now this is an aside and i love asides but there's a guy that's uh ex- um, US Special Forces. His name's Jocko Willink, and he's up at 4:45 every morning, like I am. And the reason he's up at 4:45 that he gave people that really resonated with me in a different way is he said, "I've been doing this for so long, getting up at this time because there's a guy on the other side of the world in a cave, you know, with a, a explosives and guns and grenades that that one day is going to want to kill me, and he's training and." preparing and he's up early and he's in a cave in the middle of fucking nowhere (laughs) directly preparing to kill me and I I, that just resonated with me so much in terms of success and competition what what can I be doing to outwork the person next to me there's people smarter than me for sure you know that's not hard there's people better looking than me more you know that that have more going for them better backgrounds they came from rich families but for damn sure they're they're not going to outwork me not a chance it's uh, if you throw and that goes back to that curiosity and that passion it's just i want to know how far I can push myself. I want to know where the end of the road is and how far I can go past it. And to do that, you've got to throw discipline. everything to it. It's, it's, it's discipline. It's hard work. It's that work ethic that anybody can do. And I no, find you're 100% the, right. And I find the only people 
that would disagree with that would people would be people who have either had it handed to them or they're not willing to work hard enough. They've, they're cowardly to a degree. And I, I find that's, you know, there's a popular term with people where they've got haters. I think anybody <laughs> who has haters is on the right track. Um, there was a quote like, I read. It's like, if you don't have haters, you're not doing it right. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that, you know, and, you know, and I've said this quote to you before and I've actually used it in the presentation we spoke last week is, and it's something that I firmly believe in is nobody ever built a statue of a critic. Exactly. I think that's really powerful. You know, the only people who have time to talk shit and to say negative things about you and your journey and what you're trying to do are people who have time to. I'm sorry, but I'm too busy you know, helping the people that I care about and helping those within the industry and, and driving myself to be a better person, a, a better leader. And, you know, a, it's it's never ending, but I love it. You know, they, they say you've got to have a work-life balance and I agree with that, but my work is my life and my life is my work and I love every minute of it and I've, I've achieved a balance where I love every minute of every day. You know, obviously yes. you have to set so- time aside for something that centers you where yes. it's like your Zen time. And for me, that's reading and yep. the gym, you know, um, I'm too uncoordinated to play sports. So mm-hmm. I, I, I box and I go to the gym and do weights and things like that. And I, I find that doing that first thing in the morning really works for me because yes. it centers my mind for the rest of the day and having that discipline to do something immediately, as soon as you roll out of bed, it really sets up your mind to go, yeah, well, no matter what comes at me today, no matter if it's the greatest day or a really shitty day, it's, it's always, it's, it's going to be a problem I can tackle because I've already tackled one problem today and I've successfully done it. So it, it, it sets your mind up for success. No, you're so right. And I a hundred percent agree with you. And it's really about outworking every single person to, to get that level of success. But one point I'd like to ask you on is, do you believe we're lacking as an industry because people are too afraid to share their knowledge because they're worried about random people's opinions on the internet? Like yes. Random people I, halfway I, across I, the world. Yes. But we don't I, I even would. know. I would agree with that. You know, I, I you know what, I, I don't think it's so much people you don't know that concerns you, at least not from my point of view. Um, I think it people really worry, and I still worry myself. Even now, it's 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 a constant anxiety for me, that, it, and it's one of my weak areas that I've always tried to, you know, grow with, and, and that, um, you know, nobody ever built a statue of a critic. That's something I say to myself. It's almost like a mantra mm-hmm. each day just to make sure that, you know, if, if something I'm doing is scaring me, then I know it's the right thing I've got to do. Whether it's a long-term goal, it scares the shit out of me, mm-hmm. I know that's the right thing to do. Or a, or a post that's a bit, you know, I think, oh, the, this is going to get negative feedback <laughs> or controversial, you know. I, I think there is a real fear from some people, from, well, from quite a few people to share their knowledge or share their opinions on LinkedIn because, and I think Australia is quite unique is that we have 
we we really do have tall poppy syndrome here to a degree. I don't know. I have a theory that it's a carryover from you know convict days where we looked down on the uh, the rich Englishman that sent us here to this uh, <laughs> the hottest place on earth that everything's trying to kill us. <laughs> so I, th- I have a theory that that tall poppy syndrome probably carried over from those convict days. Yep. Uh, whether it's true or not, there's probably some um, you know. Um, uh, you know, uh, professors that would disagree with that. <laughs> um, uh, my layman's opinion, that's what it is. But I think that tall poppy syndrome is rampant within our industry where we're so quick to criticize, especially on LinkedIn. And like the, yeah, you say exactly. on LinkedIn that's opinionated or I, I'm all for constructive criticism where you say, well, that's a really good point you make, but what about this perspective or, you know, talking with each other in a discussion, but I find there's a lot of keyboard warriors, probably not just within cybersecurity, within all industries, within the internet. You know, the internet's given voice to people who maybe probably shouldn't have had a voice, you know, hiding out in their mum's basement. Um, But I find there's keyboard warriors that in the cybersecurity industry who are quite aggressive. You know, I don't mind controlled aggression. I think it's key to success. I use controlled aggression to, Controlled aggression. I like that. Control, that's a military thing. It's, um, I'm definitely adapting that now. The yeah, next so I, I've been is you're aggressive and say, <laughs> actually, no, it's controlled aggression. That's exactly right because I've been told I've been I'm too aggressive before, but that's usually by politically correct organisations or people who don't want to upset the status quo, whereas I don't give a shit about the status quo. <laughs> I totally now, agree. I think you and I are in the same boat. Exactly. With a few others. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we, you know, there, there needs to be more people like that, and I, I, I hate that people are afraid to speak up. It's uh, and there's some people that do a great job of stating their opinions, and some of them are wild and fanciful and there's there's some great people within our industry but i'd love to hear from more people nobody wants to hear me rabbit on all the time you know see my posts on, on linkedin like i'm i'm fairly active you know publicly but i want to hear from other people I, I think you know there's people with opinions that have a lot to give that might be afraid that they'll get their negative feedback Absolutely. Now, constructive feedback is key to our growth. You know, if I've said something that somebody disagrees with, please tell me, but have the data to back it up because I'm going to argue back. And But I'll always admit if I'm wrong. You know, if, mm-hmm. if someone proves to me, no, you're wrong, that data doesn't make sense or you um, that opinion doesn't make sense, blah, 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 I'll be like, well, shit, well, I've just been schooled. Okay, yep. well. Now, now You've been owned, you know, Shannon. Yeah, I know I've been owned. It happens. It happens. <laughs> I'm never. I'm not always right. Uh, but, uh, but there's people who are afraid of that. There's, but because there is some people who take it too far. I use the rule, like what your parents or your mum used to say to you: if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. I am of on the of the opinion that I read somebody's comments, and I think to myself, if they. If I don't think that they would be willing to say that to my face in person, then they're being a dick. Yep. You know, that, you know I'm, and I'd welcome them to do it, not in terms of, you know, I'm going to fight you now, but it's people are a lot braver behind that keyboard than they would be in a normal discussion face-to-face. I think we should approach our behaviour and that of constructive criticism as if we were talking to the person directly. You know, yes, you, you don't want to be hurting people's feelings. You know, people, everyone's human, even people who seem quite resilient. Like I, I you know, it, it affects me when I get negative comments still, even now, you know, but I'm, 
and putting yourself out there is a scary thing. That's why I've never understood people who are like vicious and uh, over the top, um, you know, over the top criticisms of people who do speaking or get on the news or, or, you know, put themselves out there. I'm like, well, when was the last time that you stood in front of a crowd? When did you last go on the news? You know, when, when did you exactly. put yourself out there and risk your brand and, and be brave? You know, it's easy. Yes. It, don't criticize an operation from an armchair is another army saying that I, that I quite enjoy. And it, it fits in with the cybersecurity industry as well. It's, it's like those people who criticize professional sports players while sitting in their lounge room going, exactly. oh, oh, he missed that last shot. What are you yeah, doing? Oh, he's useless. Oh, yeah, it, you're so yeah. right. I literally spoke about that the other day on my one of my videos. I was a while back, but I said, like, it doesn't matter. If you're like the Michael Jordan of the world, like, you're still going to get criticized of yeah. old mates sitting on his lounge room, like, <laughs> chair that doesn't yeah. even probably play basketball. Yeah. But then, like, that's another thing. Like, I, I, do you know how many people? message me and say hey like i'm really scared to post my opinion these people they're really knowledgeable they're really smart and i'm just like don't be afraid and that's why i keep trying to encourage other people and i I notice that people tag me and stuff because they want to feel like oh i want to I, because people are afraid like, they if I pee, of course and like I remember yeah. like even saying to you like when I first started doing it like people thought I was so crazy and this but now it's kind yeah. of quote unquote the norm thing but yeah. I want to encourage other people that we need to listen to other people's opinions yeah. so we can grow and evolve if it's the same three people like the golden skirts yeah, exactly. they're probably going to understand what their opinion is because maybe they they research something for 20 years that they don't want to share because they're scared about what susan from wherever thinks about them yeah exactly yeah no i agree completely and i want to be able to break those barriers down because i think that again like we're going to really lack because oh i'm too afraid and it's really prevalent in this particular industry more than from maybe maybe i'm focusing on it a lot more than i notice it more but Mm. i think that people need to know that they gotta put their opinions out there because how we learn and even if you don't agree with something that's fine and and much to your point before someone can disagree but i think if you're viciously personally attacking people which i've actually had before to me makes no sense and i think why would you want to fuel your negative energy on something like i would never say something horrible to someone to be honest like it's just not how i'm wired because i agree with you by saying don't if you have nothing nice to say don't say it at all and it's something it says more about them doesn't it it says more about them because usually people will criticize what they dislike most in themselves Yes, absolutely. And that's the thing that I want people hopefully listening to this to be like, you know, if you've got an idea, if you want to start a podcast or a a vlog or write some articles, like just do it because the more people we do it, the more people understand that it's just a thing that we do. Like producing content is really what builds your profile and your brand. And I think that it really builds knowledge as well, getting people's different opinions. And it's something that – I hope that it is, I believe it is changing face, but it is going to be a slow process yep. and not allowing like zero tolerance for people bullying. Like just. Exactly. You know? And and if, talking about that zero tolerance for bullying, because I, you know, I said it before, but I hate bullies. I always have. Um, but if it, what it takes for somebody and whoever's listening, if what it takes for you to be brave and to post your opinion or to post an article or to, to, 
put yourself out there is to tag Carissa or to tag me or tag us both or to uh, tag somebody who does have a bit of a standing within the industry or, you know, is quite, has that controlled aggression. <laughs> tag us, tag away. Well, I'm like a bulldog. You know, if I see someone bullying you, they're going to hear about it, you know, and they're most like all, like all bullies, they're cowards. They're not going to stand up to that. They're not going to have a leg to stand on because their arguments don't hold weight. Like I said, they're not backed up by data. They're said with feelings or because of their own fear, said of their own feelings. inadequacies. Correct. Yes, know, they're, correct. They're not going to out-argue somebody that comes to them with fact and evidence and data. It's, um, you know, be brave. Do Put yourself out there. We're, our industry needs it. Now we you, so people right. like you and I and the, the few other people that are quite active within the industry and we have some brilliant people within this industry like look you know like Philemon and uh, yep. we've got Toolin and um, you know other people within the industry that are just doing brilliant work and it can't just be us it has to be more I want to hear everybody I want to hear everybody's opinion you know exactly. I, I want to be able to agree or disagree. Yeah, that's how discussions happen. You know, I, there's only so many coffees you can have in a day. It's you, you can, it, it's a lot it's a lot more effective if you're putting yourself out there on your social media channels or do a YouTube channel or you know, Correct. come and get your advice. But tag us, tag away. You know, we got your back. <laughs> awesome. Well, Shannon, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I always enjoy our discussions because it is real and it is raw and it's and it's honest. And I think it's something that I really take my hat off to you because it's really not it's it's personally inspired me to not be afraid to, to do more and more of what I'm doing. So I really appreciate that. So if people do want to reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? Yep. So they can, I'm happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn if they want to reach out to me. And I've also got my, um, my website. It's just ssedgwick.com. Um, people can reach out to me through that as well. I'm, I'm writing on my blog um, as much as I can. And uh, I'm always keen to catch up with people for a coffee or to offer advice. You know, my advice is always free. Um, take it or leave it. I'm, I'm, you know, I've been through some struggles and journeys myself. And um, I, I think when you get, get to a certain point where you can give back, you should. And I don't think enough people do that. So if somebody needs help, advice, no matter what they're doing, even if it's not cybersecurity related, just come and have a chat. Yeah, I'll buy you coffee. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Shannon. I really love this discussion. Thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. We're looking forward to bringing frequent snippets of what's happening in the security and emerging tech industries. If you think there's someone I should be speaking with, even if it's you, reach out to media at carissabreenindustries.com and we'll try to make it happen.